everyone. I'm super excited for today's guest. Uh, Brian Z. Zizuk is joining us, uh, co-founder and SVP Ops at AudioMac and co-founder and editor-in-chief of DJ Booth. Really one of the OGs of the, of the music industry. Um, we do this since tw- uh, 2003. Um, also a creative consultant for publishing company Sunday Songs. And of course, Twitter's unofficial voice of the music industry. We're going to discuss everything from what has happened to the music industry and the changes from 2003 up to today. His Twitter presence and building, you know, a brand around that and balancing that with running a company right through to everything on uh, creator empowerment and uh, the latest in that space. Um, hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hey, folks, I'm thrilled to have with us Brian Zizuk. I got it right. Mm-hmm. Tell me, man, what's been what's been going on? Um, Higher things. Things are great. I'm just trying to navigate all the responsibilities that you alluded to in uh, your your wonderful open. Uh, trying to be a great leader and businessman while also being a great husband and father and son and friend. It's challenging, uh, and I'm not perfect, uh, but I, I do strive to get better at all of that. Uh, every day, we're we're all works in progress, right? Yeah, we are indeed. So tell me, okay, so let's start there. You are the co-founder of two things, not one. So one percent of us start one thing. <laughs> I'm, it's a smaller percentage of people start two things. Are you doing both thing, both DJ Booth and AudioMax simultaneously? Yeah, but because of the uh, overlap in ownership between the companies, uh, what we've been able to do is integrate DJ Booth into the Audio Mac experience. And so up until a few years ago, DJ Booth was producing anywhere between 7 and 20 original pieces of content a week on its platform. And then what we decided to do was integrate written editorial into the Audio Mac experience, meaning while you were inside of the app streaming music, you could also read about the artists that you were discovering along the way. So we moved our entire editorial team at DJ Booth, our editors, our writers, over to AudioMac. Uh, they now control and operate AudioMac World, which is our editorial arm. All that content runs within the app, but also is syndicated on DJ Booth, who also helps to cross-promote that content on its social channels. So it was, it was a win-win for both platforms. The content we're creating now has a much larger audience uh, and hopefully is, is helpful to a larger swath, not just readers who like to read about new music, but also creators and artists who are looking to get educated on the field that they're operating in. Yeah, I love it, man. So wh- which one came first? Was it, it started the content with DJ Booth? Correct. Yeah. So DJ Booth launched in 2003. Oh, wow. That's a long tenure. Congrats. Yeah. We just celebrated 19 years. Uh, so so the, the genesis there was DJ Booth's mission was to provide a resource for the DJ community. Uh, headphone, turntable, mixer reviews, DJ playlists. Uh, I DJed in college. My co-founder, Dave Mackley, DJed in college. That, that was our genesis. Um, it, it was morphed into a full-scale online music magazine in which we reviewed tracks and albums and did news coverage and event coverage, wrote up opinion pieces, published guest editorials. Uh, But what was the inflection point was during the height of the blog era, 
rappers were releasing music using file sharing services like Lime yeah, Links yeah. and Zippy Share. And those links would die. They would expire. And if you, you know, were at home and downloading them on your computer, you get pop-up ads and malware and viruses. And so we saw a problem that needed a solution. And that's where AudioMac came in. Instead of hosting those projects for the artists on DJ Booth, which was not our core competency, also very expensive from a server and bandwidth perspective, uh, we decided to create AudioMac, which was a service intended to offer artists the ability to upload freely, no restrictions, no limits, and disseminate their work. Wow, that's like, oh, gee, what? I mean, the music industry and tech is kind of... So you've been there since the since the beginning, man. Tell me, like, what is, <laughs> what do you think it was going on at the moment? Well, you know, as much as things have changed uh, in the industry, and uh, they have changed quite a bit. I mean, things have changed since you and I just started this podcast. That's how quickly things <laughs> change. They, uh, they've also stayed pretty much the same. Uh, you know, the the structure that is the music industry, the, the business side, has l- remained largely intact from what it was back in the day. And uh, what we try to for, do for for better or worse, uh, mostly for worse. Uh, yeah. And I say that only because there used to be more gatekeeping, right? Uh, now the barriers to entry into this business have been stripped away, um, and so you don't need. So that's the that's the part one. That's the good part, I guess. It's good and bad, right? You don't need the the capital injection that you used to require in order to afford studio time and press up physical copies of an album or a single and then distribute those physical copies internationally. Now you can record in your bedroom and you can distribute your work for nothing or very low cost and it can be available for everyone. The problem, of course, on the flip side of that coin is everybody has access to this. And so the volume of creators uh, has intensified and the volume of content created has intensified. But the thing that hasn't changed is we only have so many hours in a day to consume. Uh, And so everyone vying for this time, this precious time, uh, is the the issue that all creators uh, are facing. Yeah, I hear that. I can relate. We, um, when we first launched Polywork, Last year, there was like a novelty of this new kind of concept that let you share multiple, multiple types of work at once in the CM feed. So you could kind of mix up everything from design, maybe design work you're doing day to day to the angel investing in the evening or like whatever it might be. But um, then you start this sort of the the hype settles and then you realize you're vying for time against everything you're competing with. It's not, it's not just other professional networks. Actually, I'd say it's least professional networks. It's for us. It's like, it's literally why would someone pick up your app versus another app when they have five minutes spare in the evening? Like it's more than likely we're going to end up competing with like Netflix or just someone listening to a playlist or a podcast or something, but it's kind of wild, but it gets speaks to like the, the need to cure, curate the content more i think that's i think that's one of the reasons tiktok has done like a really really great job recent like in, in just exploded in the last couple of years where they you don't really need to tell that much and it will just show you content and as you browse and you explore more and more of it it just learns what you want to see and what you want to do i'm not on it a ton like i think i'm old and i look so not i'm not hang, i don't know if i'm the if i'm the right persona for, much for it but i just know that it changed the game. It doesn't require a lot of effort at all. And it literally has turned people into superstars overnight with this algorithm of just 
get a video out with some music. I think they did the music licensing thing really well. They made it really easy to like tack on some like versions of music onto onto videos as well. Something that really helped them shine. But um, yeah, other than that, I think the rest of the, our app for sure is, is struggling to buy for time with like people every day just to trying to get like two minutes of their time. It's crazy. The, the difficult part is when you know that you have a passive user, how do you convert them into an active user, right? And so the typical um, digital service provider DSP consumer is a passive one. They're pressing play on the artists who they already know, who they already love, mm-hmm. and they're doing one of two things primarily. They're either toggling over to a social network and listening to music that they're already familiar with while doing something else on their device or they're pressing play and then sticking their phone in their pocket so that it can soundtrack some other life event, like a commute to school or a work or a workout, et cetera. Um, And so what we've been doing over the past few years is trying to figure out a way to change that behavior and make them more active, uh, incorporating the DJ style on audio Mac within the audio Mac app. Yes. So you, you don't want them to just play the music and then go do something else. You're actually trying to keep their eyeballs on the app. And that's, is that mainly through the editorial side? Yeah, through the creation of content that exists in the app that doesn't require you to, to, to jump over any hurdles, right? And so we don't want you to have to open up multiple apps, which drains battery on your device. We don't want you to have to play hopscotch between browser windows to be able to read about artists and stream their music in the same space uh, and and we make all proper nouns clickable, right? So if you're in the midst of reading and another artist is mentioned or a song title or an album, uh, and you click on those names, those proper nouns, it's going to take you over to those works within the app. And so now you have the ability to really make the discovery process more immersive. And we've kept you in app longer. We've converted you from a passive user to an active one. The session length is longer. You're going to you're going to view more ads. That's more dollars in the pockets of the artists. Uh, it's a win win for everybody. Yeah, I love that. It's, it's funny. It's actually one of the reasons we started this podcast because we are trying to bring the polyworking trend and talk 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 to interesting people about how they do it, so that when people hear about it for the first time, come into the app they don't kind of just more like the traditional professional world set it up and then come back when they need to update their resume. It's actually more about, well, learning about how people like you, Z, Polywork or Kobe or whoever, and then actually giving them those articles, like that how to, like, how did you get started? Like, you know, those are, they get more of the more practical stuff to try and keep them engaged. Right. How's it, go, how's it going so far trying to keep them from going from passive just because that's such an inherent like consumer behavior like you smash on you smash on an app you play the music and then you go to, you, whether it's sports or whatever like how's the how's the kind of trying to keep them in with the editorial content going i have some notes to share too <laughs> it's no, tough it, man it's it's going great actually so we, we um, first amazing. integrated audio mac world content into the app in january of 2021 um at the time you know we were we were fairly uh, bullish on the concept that people like to read. They just want to do it in a, in an easily digestible, easily accessible format and not have to leave where they really want to be. Like if you're only posting links to articles on Twitter and then hoping that someone in the midst of scrolling, sees something shiny and bright that they like in the form of a headline photo combination that they're going to hop over. We didn't want to do that. Uh, and so, what we've seen is uh, not only are in-app reads, so page views, 
uh, increasing month over month, every month, uh, but session length time has increased. And so the likelihood that someone now comes across an artist, hops over to their artist profile page, sees editorial that we've published on them and clicks nice. through yeah, yeah. Is, is greater. Uh, so yeah, it, it's going well. Could it be going even better? Absolutely. Uh, but that's a problem for another day. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Who are the who are the, who are you mainly competing with when it comes to like the that combo of like listen, listen and read, like listen and editorial content? No other DSP outside of title has attempted to incorporate the written word into the same in-app experience that AudioMac has, um, and so right. there, there really isn't much competition there. Um, I'm actually surprised more outlets have not attempted to do this. Maybe they don't think that their user base cares to read, um, but it enhances discovery, right? You, you come across an artist, are you discovering the artist or are you discovering their song? Because if you're only discovering their song, there's really no long-term value to the artist. It's just another play. I don't even know some of the artists I like because it's just been scrambled from like a, re like, I don't know their names because it's been scrambled from the radio feature, which is like optimized for ease because I don't have to do anything. I don't know the name of the artists like at all. I've no, I literally no clue who they are. So I wouldn't even go buy their stuff anyway. If I, if there was buying these days, I, I, I couldn't do it. I don't know who they are. And that's a problem, right? Because we see the same thing happen all the time with songs that start to bubble up and go viral on a platform like TikTok. And I'm not saying that to criticize that platform because no platform, including AudioMac, currently is doing a better job in terms of amplifying uh, new songs. But what ends up happening is so few find out who the artist is behind that song so that they know to go to their DSP of choice, like an AudioMac or, or Spotify or an Apple Music, and then see what else that same artist has released. Um, people follow songs now instead of artists. And so our mission is to change that. If you discover the song, you want to know who the creator is behind that record. Yeah, I love that. Also, I feel like Spotify just missed a, missed a, so missed the opportunity to be that social. Like it took them so long to layer on any type, not necessarily, I don't even think they ever have done editorial, but even like the social part of it, like for so when they came out and it was almost like, revolutionary at the time and there was like so they got so much press off of like the you know the fighting the record labels and you know the status quo but they never they never really tried to be the social network which seems but i will i think the opportunity now is actually for what you're doing because when the one of the reasons we're all competing for so many eyeballs it means there's so much content and if you know what artists they're, they like and they're listening to then serving if they hop somewhere else then the content becomes like scattered and not a lot of these social networks have actually done a good job, maybe bar TikTok, of keeping you on content you actually really, really like. And whether it's healthy or not, it's a different story for another day. But right. I think that makes sense that there's a well, it, but I see the gap now completely. It's like there is really no, but you, you know so much about them from the data on the app, right? The, what they're listening to, that just to serve them that editorial content, it's the minute they jump over to Twitter or whatever it is, it's going to go right back to like relying on, yeah, I think that's super smart. Super, I wonder why Spotify have not tried to do that. I mean, I, for the same reasons, maybe they didn't try to do social networking. I don't know. Never made sense to me why that app didn't try that. The only the only thing I would have to say there is not to criticize, um, you know, the the biggest player in our space and and a competitor, but they they were largely uh, birthed uh, 
ideated on, created by non-music folks, right? And so there's very little thought put into what is the creative's journey through bedroom artists to aspiring success story to professional. Uh, and Audio Mac is predominantly made up of creatives who themselves have been at various stages in their uh, careers on this journey. Uh, we have DJs, producers, photographers, um, artists themselves who are full-time employees at our company. And so all the things that we do, all the new features and functions that we add to our product, they were thought through from the mindset of a creator, not someone who is a businessman in Silicon Valley who's just trying to, um, you know, beef up their bottom line. The creator economy has just, I mean, it's taken on a new definition in itself, but like, what's the, yeah, I, I feel like there's a, there's a, whether it's an e-commerce store or whatever, man, there's like a, there's so many creator tools, like so, so, so many creator tools. Like what are your thoughts on some of the recent emergence with like ownership? At least the creator economy is getting, it's getting, it's having its moment. I just don't know if it's having a healthy moment right now. I, I think like that it's maybe the charlatan center first and then something, and then something good will come out of it. But I, tell me your perspective on that. You've seen it from the very beginning. What's, what, what are your thoughts? I think ownership obviously is, is extremely important, but it, with the understanding that you need to have a, um, a pathway to be able to monetize that ownership. Um, you know, the discourse on social media as it relates to should I or should I not sign a record deal specifically? Well, first of all, um, if you are giving up something, you need to know that you're getting something that's going to make what you've created more valuable in order to justify, you know, going into bed with a particular partner. Uh, I think the core issue for, as it relates specifically to artists and music, um, so as to narrow down this conversation, is far too often artists are not ready for a record deal. They have not created the leverage necessary to exchange a portion of ownership for services that could amplify them and their music to a greater level that would allow them to justify giving up that ownership percentage. And so I always encourage artists to go at it independently for as long as they feel like they can do so effectively in order to generate the leverage necessary so that when you are at the negotiating table, the terms are in your favor. If you're the one pursuing, they know that then leverage is in their court. It's so similar to startups, man. It's like, it's like it's, if you can bootstrap it for as long as you can, it just becomes a more attractive proposition. You actually have like some leverage entering it. And seeing with, I don't know if it's the similar music, seeing with VC and startups is, you know, unless there is a pre-existing network, which is rare, unless it's a second time or third time finder, you're kind of going, you're either way going in in the back foot because most of this, we, I mean, when I raised money for my first startup, I'd never even had a conversation about that amount of money, like let alone seen that amount of money, you know. Right. And it's like, so you, <laughs> and I was leaving a company. It was leaving, was leaving a big tech company to do it, but didn't didn't even have a shot at it. But um, yeah, that makes sense. What like what like what is what is what are the resources out there for for young creators and artists to actually like do that? Because it's, it's a little like I don't know if it's even is it possible? Because a lot of the startup, I feel like it's it's kind of this. Um, like recently, like reading up more and more on like 
Web3 stuff. It's like so many products are trying to exist to empower creators, but they're owned by the same conglomerates for the most part that have been been around for like, or they're funded by them for the best time. So it's kind of, I think hard, I don't know, maybe I'm harder and harder to get actually like independent support for anything people are doing without being like sucked into the, I mean, maybe I'm being negative, but without being like sucked into um, into the machine from like day one, it's just like, it's like a different version of the same thing. It just has like a slightly slicker UI because it's an app. I think education is the most important thing. Uh, there is a lack of trustworthy resources uh, for independent artists, you know, to help them best navigate this ever-changing space and ecosystem. Something that I'm really excited about is uh, we're on the verge of launching a brand new platform that is solely uh, about artist education. And it is meant to be a resource. So whether or not you use Audio Mac, whether you have your music on the platform, whether or not you deliver to the platform, um, doesn't matter. Uh, this, this free resource will be available to you to help you, again, navigate this, this ever-changing landscape that is uh, the music industry. Uh, to go back to your, your last question, um, to me, what it's about is the artists making clear to their fans that royalties generated from streaming solely are for most artists, like 99% of artists, not going to be enough to allow them to continue their professional recording career. And yeah. so they need to make clear to their audience, there are other ways that you can support me financially. Here are ways that I'm going to incentivize you to do so. And this will ensure that there is this mutual understanding and exchange of you're supporting me. Here's what I'm giving to you. And this will allow me to do what you want me to do, which is continue to make music that you enjoy so greatly. Uh, something specifically yeah. that we did to accomplish that was we launched supporters, which is a patronage style. Uh, system. I was going to literally, as you were speaking, I was literally thinking of like Beatron or OnlyFans type. Like the, there's a common thing in tech where it's like the thousand true fans are worth more than like a hundred thousand, just like yep. kind of kind of passive fans that if you can get a thousand people interested in paying a monthly subscription to your content or whatever, then then it's actually a more viable career than anything from like Facts. passive royalty income. Absolutely. Uh, and And with supporters, it's simple. There are multiple badge options. Your fans can purchase a badge. The badge is then memorialized on the album or song page, and you get to download that badge. It's not an NFT. Let me make that clear. Not an <laughs> NFT. Uh, you can download that badge and share it on social. So basically, uh, it's, a, it's a clout graphic, right? Uh, you can brag to all your friends that you are a supporter of this artist, that you got in early, right? These are very important things to fans. And on the artist side, not only are you going to be able to generate additional revenue from the badges purchased by your supporters, but now you have access to directly message all of these paying fans through the app so that in the future, when you have a new album or a new song coming out, you can let them know ahead of time, incentivize them to support even more and do so by using... Um, discount code for merch or a pre-sale yeah, ticket yeah, yeah. link for your new tour or a preview link for a new song. And so it strengthens the bond between uh, artist, creator, uh, and, and user slash fan. 
And on top of that, you get to make some more money. So the effective stream rate for that particular title will go up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting, you beat me to it, but I was when before when you started talking about the the learning um, and the resource stuff. But you know, on the top ten, you know, music app and Apple, like what is that the next phase of like wh- where is like what's the vision for Audio Mac? Um, is it a lot on this education side? Yeah, what do you got planned next? Yeah, so uh, the artist guide that we're going to be releasing is part of the educational tenant for sure. Uh, that has and will continue to inform a lot of what we do from a uh, content capture and creation standpoint. But we're also seeing where our audience is. And over the last three years, so much of our audience has shifted to Africa. So right now, we are a top five app, and not just in the music download category, but app generally. In Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, Tanzania, um, our audience is in this marketplace, both the consumer and the creator. And so a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of our most important initiatives now and moving forward will focus on how to best and super serve this ever developmental region that has to overcome a lot of the hurdles that we know nothing about here, right? So uh, right. limited limited access to Wi-Fi or hard cap data plans. Um, these are hurdle, uh, older cell phone technology. These, these are hurdles that young Africans have to clear. And so we created a product that super serves their needs. And we're going to continue to do that uh, because of the loyalty that they have shown uh, to us. I love that, man. I love that. What is that? How big is the team? How big is the team at AudioMac? Yeah. What's, what's, what's the latest? So we have 52 full-time employees as of this recording. Oh, wow. uh, we have over 45 contractors spread out across the world, uh, mostly in, in, in dev. Uh, specifically within Africa, we have a team of 10. We opened up a satellite office in Lagos uh, in the middle of the pandemic. And we have... Uh, uh, content strategists and curators and uh, brand ambassadors and uh, business strategists who uh, have done just incredible work making clear to the local community, we're not this Western company trying to swoop in and take advantage of the rise of Afrobeats, but rather we want to grow with them. We want to provide them with a product that can help them stream music, and for the artist community, elevate their profile, not just locally in Africa, but across the pond here in the United States. And wow, 52 people, dude. Holy shit. What, uh, how are you finding, <laughs> co-finding a 52? I did it once. Uh, our company now is a little smaller, but um, yeah. How are you finding it during the pandemic? 52-person team and opening in new, new countries. What was, how are you and your co-founder doing? Well, first of all, uh, we actually were fortunate enough to scale up during the pandemic. And so yeah, uh, yeah. from, I'd say, late 2019, like early 2020, when the pandemic first hit, uh, my department, which is content operations and artist services, we also oversee label services and, and support. We went from three people to 11. Uh, marketing went from maybe four or five to 17, 18, something like that. Um, it's just, you know, the, the growth is especially internationally necessitated that we continue to add on to the team. 
the challenge is probably the same as most companies, which is how do you incorporate new team members in a completely remote environment, especially those who are not anywhere near our physical office and studio location in New York? How do we make them feel like they're actually a part of this when all the communication is over Zoom and and Slack and email? And it's been a challenge. Um, But what we've found is a lot of departments can thrive when they're not having to worry about morning and afternoon commutes. I swear our team is more productive. I mean, I miss the in-person. We're like half half in New York as well. I swear the team is more productive because they just don't have to worry about the one hour in the morning, the one hour in the evening getting home. Yeah, and they're also they're also not pissed off because they had work they needed to do, but they had to leave to get home. And then they know after that commute, they still have to finish whatever they didn't get done before they left, plus whatever happened while they were unable to respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you got how are you thinking about like the this is a huge challenge for us right now as we scale? Like how how are you thinking about the once you get over the onboarding, like the, the initial culture piece of or like just like creating the company culture now that it is you have that international office, you can't just like pop you know, to Nigeria, like all the time, like it's a huge, I don't know, like we're, I think almost like we're all coming out of the pandemic a little bit, like t- touch wood, but everyone keeps asking sort of like, what culture are we going to build? Is it going to be hybrid? Like, what's it going to look like? I don't have the answers, but I'm just curious if anything's worked really well at AudioMac. Well, you know, uh, a lot of our employees are in the tri-state area. And so uh, we have not required them to come back into the office uh, they can do so as they feel comfortable to. Um, and so I think that sort of uh, loose approach to back to the office has actually helped as opposed to what I know a lot of companies in the music industry have done, which is said, we need you in the office four days a week. Yeah. My buddies in in London, just with Google, uh, two of the designers I used to work with just had the week I was visiting actually was their first week back three days in the office. It was not, <laughs> it didn't go down as well. I mean, I miss the people part of it, so I'm excited to get back a couple of days. But I just, I think, I think it more just like having telling people you don't have to if you don't want to. Like, if you need a week or two where you just like don't come in at all because you got some crazy shit going on at home, you can just you can take that. But like, come in when you want, as long as you come in a couple of times. But it's been tough, tough to navigate because you and you people when you're trying to hire candidates in the other side, particularly in a crazy market like New York, where some say, "Well, actually, I, we, I just, I'm a." part of my career where I, I do just want to be in person with people like i have plenty of time to like do that home thing but it's a balance i don't know it depends what the role is and it depends what the department is just as an example you know our our marketing department which like content operations has grown considerably over the last two and a half years um marketing work you, you need to brainstorm you need to ideate you need to just yeah. throw ideas off of one another you can only do that for so long on a Zoom call before people just tune out or never had their camera on and and they've already moved on to email or Slack. Uh, You you can't do that, at least not effectively, if you want to keep your job, if you're in the same room as someone. And those meetings can go a little bit longer because you you have that that sort of feeling of of the energy when you're on to something. And so I I do think that for a department like marketing, there is a a greater benefit from being in office more regularly. And then also, uh, you know, at least speaking only on behalf of AudioMac, we host artists for office visits, meet and greets. And the relationship building is not the same when it's like a pure Zoom when you're doing that stuff. Yeah. And and it just, you know, it, it just feels weird when you have someone come in and no one's in the office, right? Uh, there's there's no energy there. I, I know that I've gone to record labels before 
and you know they're ghost towns. If I was an artist going to a record label and there was nobody in there, the energy's dead. They're like, why, why did I? Why did I sign here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's about, it's about the people and the experience with it. Yeah, no, I get it, man. Yeah, I don't know where we're gonna settle. Um, where we're gonna settle with it? I just I don't know. For now, it's sort of like very open. We're not gonna force people to do anything. We, I would never do that. Like on the office side, but just beginning to like, particularly on the, we do a little less in the marketing and more on the product side, but similar, like on the product and design side, you kind of need to just be in person, like whiteboarding with people. Um, completely different, completely switching gears. Uh, your Twitter, your Twitter presence, your big following on Twitter. Um, I'm having to get my name out there a little more with, well, now that we're on this company and talking about the polywork trend and whatnot. First of all, you got to give me some tips, but I mean, your Twitter, you know, your Twitter is, you have a lot of followers, particularly like aspiring folks working in the industry and stuff. Like, tell me about your presence on that and how, like, I don't know. It's, I want to get the, the, the good, honest Intel here. Like it's, it's, it is building a personal brand. I'm sure it definitely didn't start that way, but now it has, it, it for sure is a, must be a little bit of like maintaining your personal brand um on there. So tell me how you think about that and like your presence on like, that is, is it a full-time job. It, it's not. I mean, I, I actually wish I had more time to devote to it because it's it's turned into such a valuable resource for so many. Uh, but, you know, it goes back to like, where's the time? People, those threads that people post, like I keep getting encouraged by our PR team to post threads about the future of work. Sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't call, you know, call it the strategy, the strategy, but I just, it takes forever like to be witty and informative and compete with, I don't know. I like, I'm maybe this is me learning to have to be a content creator, but I genuinely don't have the time for it at the moment. I don't know how other people do either. Well, you know, a lot of the content that I produce that solely is published on Twitter, you know, that's not done in a day, right? I might, I might start a thread on a Monday and fine tune it over the course of four or five days in the draft folder. And then it doesn't actually go live until the following week when I feel really good about it. Um, maybe I rush the process a little bit if the topic of the thread is not evergreen and it's tied to a particular moment that there's a good conversation happening on Twitter on that particular day. Um, it doesn't mean that the tweet wouldn't be as valuable a couple of days later, but I definitely wouldn't be able to capture the attention that that topic has at the moment. As far as like just strategy, you know, when I first started tweeting, my primary role was as editor-in-chief of DJ Booth. And so I was a bit more opinionated then because a lot of the content we were publishing was op-ed. Um, since then, my priority as far as my time allocation has shifted to my role at AudioMac, in which we have 180 content partners, three of which are our major label partners. And so... I have, I mean, candidly, I have had to be a bit more uh, thoughtful in my criticisms, given that these are our partners. And so anyone who follows me knows that I am definitely still critical of the industry, but I'm now doing so in a more uh, refined manner, given <laughs> the business relationships I have to maintain. Yeah. And I, and I think given also as well, like having when you started i feel this too sometimes that um even now unlike when we're thinking about whether it's podcasts or content or twitter it's like the where it's just a more sensitive era um it's just it is and like the it's becoming a much smaller world so a lot more people know a lot more people and so it's like the, the same point of 
you know, some a big part of our go to market for Polywork was like naturally highlighting some of the shortcomings of existing platforms, like respectfully highlighting some of the shortcomings of like platforms that sort of place this like unhealthy emphasis on the school you went to or the job title you held. And so similar in the sense you're trying to, you know, do the um, helping empower creators. We're, we are in a very similar way that if we think if they can showcase what they do, what they actually do, that it'll help them regardless of title or, 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 or school or anything like that, like get them exposure to opportunities. But yeah, I, I have fine. I don't know if it's maybe maybe less so a little last year because we were a little tongue in cheek with some of our campaigns that we came out with. But definitely, I don't know what it, what it is, what's in the water. But this year, I've started to, um, I'd almost like pre edit, pre edit myself when I think about like how critical I'm going to be of the incumbents. I know exactly what you're saying. That's why the perception of any opinion I offer needs to be thoroughly positive because what ultimately ends up happening on a platform like Twitter is you have your audience who knows you, they follow you, they understand your mission, uh, they know your track record, but often all it takes is one retweet from someone and then exactly. you show up on someone else's timeline that does not have that context or that that background. Exactly. That's why it's really important that you have to self-edit and be very careful I'm not perfect. I probably tweeted four or five things over, you know, the last five years <laughs> where I'm like, shit, that was really yeah. dumb. I could have rewarded that differently. Um, but I'm not perfect. No one's perfect. Um, just try to do better the next day. Genuinely, the balance between like authenticity and um and that fear of just there will always be a third party that thinks I'm a dick. I like it, it and I hope not. But I just, I, at least I wasn't really on a lot of social media until we, until we started building a social media app. So like probably that, for the like, better, honestly, you're probably, honestly, a, oh you're probably a mentally healthier person. I, it's crazy. I brought this up with my coach. Um, like it was probably, I mean, we had our, vi we had a viral moment, like, like, like a lot of apps do. Like there was a lot of last summer, I think between like May, June and July where Twitter would not stop talking about Polywork. And it brought a mil it brought a million incredible things like network and funding, but two things happen. You realize like that no matter what you what I believe by what we're doing or what other people are doing, someone will someone will rationally, in their opinion, think the complete opposite. It's like fundamentally disagree, and you have to like wrap like wait a second, what? It was it was actually one of the, it was one moment when we didn't really for a long time talk about what Polywork did. We talked about the problem we thought with identity in the world and the fact that we think people are multifaceted. I think it's crazy that the signals online are that your school and your job title are the things that really get you exposure to network, new network opportunities. And we wrote this script um, about, about that problem. And someone put a completely negative, like just, and maybe, maybe it was the, I don't know, maybe it was the right negative twist on it, but for, for so, so many people, so positive. It's one of the reasons I think it went viral because people like, we've never seen a message or a startup talk to us like this before. It was like a, it was like a letter written to the person about your identity. And with these, like what I thought were pretty powerful calls to action on the site. And still today it's on polyworkcom slash story. It says like, um, what was it? Uh, it's important. The world knows what you can do. And then we went onto this script but then one morning we, we woke up and our social media manager was like, someone really does not like the copy in this script. Um, or we, I think it was something we, lines that we talked about, like, you know, don't waste your time building your own website because no one's going to find it. Like, you know, like we're here to help you build one better, quicker and expose you to a network of opportunities. 
And I think it was more like the indie web creator cried, was just like, oh, thanks for shitting on the last 16 years of what I've been up to building. And there's no part of me thought what we'd said was offensive at all. And then, but then what I realized is you see, and I, I am definitely unhealthier for it. Like I was, I was very passively on Twitter, but you realize that when you're building a social app and you grow through social app sharing, you can't, I don't know. It's like, I, I find myself healthiest when I, it's impossible to stay off it, but when I, when I skip it for a couple of days and I'm, and I, I don't even notice it, like what changed? And it's like, yeah, that I wasn't doomsday scrolling on bullshit apps for like two hours in the evening, just like reading nothing. <laughs> it's like, I, but I, it's so tough, man, because we're building an app like that. Like you're like the more content you put on there and the more you want the audience to stay on your app, you're actually building a more social content right. experience. So like, how do you keep that, that healthy? And it's, I find it it's impossible hard. actually. It, yeah, yeah, and it, it's it, li- literally while trying to become content creators or like, you know, with your personal brand on Twitter, it's. It's very weird. Well, let me let me offer you a, a suggestion. Uh, it's not it's not just a you know lickety split. You can accomplish this immediately. But what I found is by having a child to be responsible for, <laughs> you automatically have less time to do that. So I'm not encouraging you. Uh, you have a dog. Yeah, yeah. Not that that not that that remotely kinds next to a child. But okay, so I'm gonna I'm, I'll have to tweet I'll tweet quote that like if you get a child, it will keep you off social media. Absolutely. <laughs> and and let me tell you, there are times when I'm sitting next to my daughter on the couch and I'm going through my feeds, and she takes her hand and puts it over the phone, and she says, "Daddy, put your phone away." And I'm like, "Damn, my daughter just gave me a reality check. I need to be present in this moment." So yeah, having, yeah, yeah. I didn't have my daughter or my wife didn't have my daughter uh, specifically so I could spend less time on social media, <laughs> but that is definitely a byproduct and it has helped greatly. Yeah. 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 Mine is, I honestly has been, uh, um, I got to try to pick up a book. Like I, 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 like I physically, my coach was like, just the next time you go to do it, when you get into bed, like just look to the right and set five or six books and just please pick one up and please read a chapter. And it really helped. Um, like really, really helped me not do it, but I don't know. It's it's definitely it's also informing like a lot of how we're trying to build the product at the moment, which is trying to think about ways to. I mean, it's a lot longer story for another day, but just how to keep apps, social media apps, like a little healthier. Um, dude, thank you for the time, Peter. Thank you so much uh, for uh, for having me on today and uh, for uh, allowing me to be a part of the first few chapters of the story that is Polywork. Uh, it's uh, it's appreciated. Yeah, it was so, so good to connect, man. Thanks, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed the show. Um, great to have Z uh, on today. Key takeaways, I think pretty incredible to speak and hear from someone that has been in the space for this long, seeing like the very beginning of what the internet did to how it's changed the music industry and is starting to right up to today really put ownership back in the hands of creators and musicians, which is like a super, super big part of, uh, of obviously Z's personal mission and the mission of AudioMac right through to everything, which I'm personally experiencing too, just this balance of pre- like presence, content creator, while also running a company and just getting into, just having you know, firsthand his insights around what it takes to do that in parallel and the time management and discipline and maintaining the time for the family too. I hope you all enjoyed the episode and uh, remember to give us a follow on Twitter. We're at Polywork. Catch you all soon.